All right. You know, a lot of churches have, you know, a catchy quote for, or a, you know, a catchy quote for the beginning of the year, something like, God is going to give you more than before in 2024, something like that, right? I don't have one of those quotes. Or they have a message that is something like, uh, five, kingdom, five kingdom keys to visionary goals in 2024. That's not this type of message, okay? How many of you are expecting great things? Yeah, that's what you told me in 2019, <laughs> at the end, <laughs> and then COVID hit. <laughs> Great things happened. <laughs> so I don't ever think that God's ultimate goal is for us to have our, although scripture says, delight in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart, I always think that it has to line up with God's will. I don't think that it's God's purpose to give us our desires. It's not our, his goal to fill our wish list. I don't think that's his goal. I don't even think that it's uh, to see you happy. I think that what he wants to see is for you to become more like Christ, for us to become more like Christ. Whatever it takes, whatever we have to endure, even if we have to go through a Job moment where he says after 42 chapters of turmoil, he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I pray that God would allow us to go through situations that would cause us to hunger and to thirst for more of him. Amen? All I can say about 2024 is that it's coming. If uh, you think that things are going to be butterflies, rainbows, and sunshine, that's not what the word says. The word says to be fully clothed in the armor of God. To get ready for that day, okay? The helmet of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, fitted with the gospel of peace, with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. If we go into the new year thinking it's going to be easy, I want to beg to differ. It's not. It's not. You have to be ready. You have to be fitted with the gospel of peace. You have to have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to say this, that if you're taking old belief systems into the new year, this will only bring forth the same outcome. How many of you have resolutions? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't. Out of 100 people in this room that have New Year's resolutions, only 25% will actually hit the target. Why? Because 75% are not intentional. You didn't even write it down. It's just pie in the sky. If you didn't do it yesterday, you're not doing it tomorrow. It's as simple as that. Five years ago, you told me what your resolutions were, and those are the same ones this year. No changes have been made. You can't take the same belief system into the new year expecting a different outcome because if you don't change, nothing will change. You can say amen to that. And so the struggle is our belief system. The struggle is the influences of the world. I was talking to Pastor Ricky earlier today. I said, I'm just amazed to see how many Christians, rather than identifying as Christians on social media, they identify as Swifties. It just floors me. That, you know, they walk around with the Taylor Swift flag, you know, rather than the flag of Christ and saying, I am a follower. 
and then exposing their own children to this garbage. Somebody say preach it. Thank you. Okay. Because you're getting quiet on me. It's like, I wasn't expecting this kind of message. (laughs) Neither was I. (laughs) The battle is always in the mind. You know, we are a three-part being. God designed us that way. We are mind, body, and spirit. And when you think about it, if I, was, if I were using some kind of a, a pictorial analogy, it would be a stool with three legs. And then I would say, if you take one of those legs away from the stool, it's going to fall. Well, that's exactly what happens in the life of a Christian, because we are mind, we're body, and we're spirit. You remove one of those, and we flop. And so I heard a quote once. Someone said that the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. When people say, oh, the devil, it's just, uh, you know, something you see in those Disney movies. You have the angel and the devil over here, but it's not real. If that's your thought process, you've believed his lie because he is real. Does he have power over you as a believer? He doesn't have power over you if you know the word of God. But if you only come to church and you don't know the word of God, then he has power over you. You have to know the word. There's this um, church in Albany, Georgia. They filmed a a, a movie there, a Christian movie. The church is a Sherwood Baptist church. And they have a banner in their foyer. It's a powerful quote. It says, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. I I remember seeing it in the movie just in passing, but that's a banner that's up in their foyer because they have their own Christian school, and it's if whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And the question is, who wants them the most? In case you haven't noticed, everything everywhere is completely against our kids and to create in them this belief system. I was telling Pastor Ricky that I was reading a research that if a Christian father, if a dad is a believer in Christ who exemplifies honesty, generosity, uh, truth, diligence, and on top of that knows how to connect with his children heart to heart, knows the love languages, has that emotional intelligence and connects with the child. The probability that that child will remain in the faith as an adult is 75% higher. But if you remove the father, although he's in the house, but he's not a Christian and he doesn't, he's not a person of integrity or anything like that, you put him to the side, but mom is a Proverbs 31 woman and she's a woman of integrity, a woman of truth who follows the Lord, The probability that their children will remain in the faith as adults is 25%. Did y'all get that? Dads have influence. Lots of influence. But we're wanting to be our kids' BFFs rather than being their parents. And the world is parenting them rather than the parents. And that's a dangerous place to be because whoever wants them the most will get them. Parents, you need to be aware of deceptive ideas based on human tradition and not Christ's teachings. 
Well, but that's being very religious, though. Am I going to control everything that they listen to? Yes. Yes. Am I going to control everything they watch on TV? Yes. Yes. But my kid loves the show. My kid loves watching Blue's Clues. Well, Blue's not blue anymore. He's rainbow colored, so you better be careful. He's the ABC community. You need to guard against spiritual influences that mislead them from Christ-centered truth. And you need to anchor your family's belief system in the Word of God. Is that easy? No! It's not. It's a constant pursuit. You have to be intentional. You have to be disciplined. You have to be consistent. Otherwise, they will stray. You know, the foundational verse for today is out of Colossians 2.8. Out of the New Living Translation, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And guess what? That's happening everywhere you turn. Empty philosophies. Worldly philosophies. You hear Christians talking about manifestation. Manifested, brother. Don't manifest anything. You, you hear about, you know, believers in Christ. And I love you guys, by the way. I'm not judging you, okay? I don't judge. He does. But I'm just here. I love you guys. I'm just, I have an assignment today. And that's to teach. We're getting wrapped in these worldly philosophies where you hear people talking about these esoteric, eastern, mystical philosophies. I do, I'm a therapist, and I see a lot of people, and most of the people that I see are believers. And then they'll tell me that what they're doing to help them with their anxiety or their depression is yoga. Yoga. Now, I, I want to share something with you because the Bible says that we are to meditate on God's word. Meditate on God's word over and over and over again. It tells us meditate on God's word. See, because when you meditate Eastern meditation, they tell you to empty your mind. When you meditate on God's word, it's to fill the mind. When you do Eastern meditation, it's detach yourself from self and from the world. Christian meditation is attach yourself to the Lord. Eastern mysticism or yoga is, is passive. Christian meditation is aggressive. Put on the full armor of God. In yoga, you worship self because you are the center of the universe. But in our Christian meditation, we worship the audience of one. There's a difference. The Bible says in Psalm 1-2 says, blessed is the man. And it goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates when? Day and night. The enemy's greatest weapons are deception, temptation, and accusations. If you have something to write, on, write with, write it down. It's not on the screen. Deception, 
temptation and accusations. The serpent told Eve, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, any tree in the garden? He said, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like who? Like God. Deception. Temptation. Remember Jesus in the desert, 40 days, 40 nights, fasting? The enemy appeared and said, you're hungry. You're Jesus. You can turn that rock right there into bread. Eat it. Jesus said three things. It is, say it, written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written. The enemy will come to deceive, to tempt, and to accuse. The Bible says in Revelation that he is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you. And these are the building blocks that he uses to create a wall, a barrier between you and the purpose that God has for your life. This barrier is called the stronghold. And out of the three parts, mind, body, spirit, I want to address the mind, and that's why I'm addressing the spiritual stronghold, because that can be understood as a deeply ingrained pattern of thought or behavior that holds a person in a state of spiritual captivity. It's like the dog that was brought into a home as a puppy, and they tied it to a tree, and the rope was only six feet in length, and every day a cat would walk by. And the puppy would run to the cat, and the cat knew that it was six feet long and was only going to make it to that mark. And there was already a mark in the ground where the, the puppy would always try and, and, and claw its way to the cat, but never could because it was tied. But then many years later, they let the dog loose because he was already a grown dog, and they felt sorry for him. But the dog remained at the tree because that's what he was used to. That was his thought pattern. And so no rope, no attachment, completely detached from the tree, and the cat shows up, the dog gets in position and rushes to go to the cat, and it stops at the six-foot mark. There's no rope anymore, but it stops. There is a stronghold. That's the life of many Christians. You know you're saved, you know Christ died for you on the cross. You know that you're a new creation in him, but you can't get rid of that thought process that was ingrained in you as a child. Because the day that you said yes to Jesus, whether you came to the front, you raised your hand here at this church or some other church, and the pastor read out of the scripture that says you are a new creation, all things passed away, the new has come, and you said, praise the Lord, hallelujah, but there's one thing that didn't change instantaneously. The heart did in your condition. You went from being a sinner to being saved. But the one thing that didn't change was those patterns from the past. And you just brought them with you. That's what's keeping you held back. Those are the strongholds. You see, our default mode, according to Scripture... One of, the greatest, one of the greatest struggles in, in, in our world today is, is anxiety. 
And anxiety is fueled by, what is it fueled by? Fear. Fear. Not in the church. Yeah, in the church too. So you have fear that leads to anxiety and people are afraid. They're afraid of the uncertainty of tomorrow. What could happen? Fear. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy, I believe it's 1 Timothy, says that 2 Timothy, that God has not given us the spirit of fear or of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That is our default mode. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's, that's like our factory settings. That's how God wired us, God created us. We were born with the capacity for power, love, and a sound mind. Not fear. Fear was created in us. Because if you come from a Hispanic home like I do, maybe your mom told you, si no te vas a dormir, te va a salir el cucuy. <laughs> For those of you who don't speak Spanish, it's very common that moms or dads will use this storyline, this narrative to get their kids to go to sleep. What they'll say is, if you don't go to sleep, the boogeyman is going to get you. And you tell the three-year-old, and then you're wondering why he's 15, and he's morbidly afraid of everything. <laughs> he's mortified the whole time because you have instilled that idea in his mind, ingrained. And it's funny, but it's not. But it's true. The Bible says that because we have the Spirit in us, in Galatians says... That we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's our nature as believers in Christ. Those who have the Spirit, those of us with the Spirit in us. You know how we tell children, who lives in your heart? Who do we tell them lives in their hearts? Jesus. It's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is at. The Holy Spirit resides in us when we accept Christ. And because we have the Spirit in us, then we can produce the fruit. Not fruits, fruit, singular. Comes in one package, the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and, say it, self-control. Self-control. I loved watching in 2019... I'm a big um, runner, marathon enthusiast, and I watched Ilyob Kipchog in 2019 broke the two-hour marathon. The two-hour marathon. Some people can't even ride a bike for 26.2 miles at the speed that this guy was running. He broke it in less than two hours. He ran a full marathon. And I loved him because he's a Christian. And they asked him, and said, Ilyob, how did you do it? He said, I believed that I could, and therefore I did. I thought, whoa, that's powerful. He says, I, of course, he trained a lot. But he says, I believed that I could, and therefore I did. Simple. Now, the question is, if I have a stronghold, how do I know what they are, and how do I get rid of them? Because strongholds are formed by different things, right? You know, we have... We're talking about spiritual strongholds. Usually they come through sin. Whatever it is. Whatever you're struggling with. But there's four ways, and I call them the four R's, that you can use to break a stronghold. 
Is it easy? No. Can I stand up here and rebuke the strongholds from your life? No. No. Because I can rebuke them from up here, but then you go back and you do the same thing all over again. And you continue to live that way. Like I'll tell you one that a lot of people uh, engage in. They will stop at a gas station and buy a lottery ticket. And they scratch to see if they've won the, the, the jackpot. That's a stronghold. Because rather than relying and trusting in the Lord, you're relying and trusting in the government. Because that's who puts out those things. And so they have a stronghold on people. That's a stronghold. And so there are the four R's, I call them the four R's. You know, we could name it something else. But the first one is reveal. The first thing to breaking a stronghold, whatever is keeping you back from living out God's purpose in your life is, is revelation. That's the prayers, Lord, reveal to me. It's very simple. Reveal to me, Lord. What are those things that are holding me back? Reveal. And it goes back to Psalm 139. Verse 23 through 24, this is David. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me on the test and sift through all my anxious, anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. In summary, it's reveal, Lord, those things that are holding me back. That's the prayer, reveal. The second R is repent. Repent. And repent is simply asking the Lord for forgiveness. It's like I've engaged in these things that have kept me away from you, Lord. I repent. Please forgive me. Kind of like the prodigal son. And repentance, when it is true, godly repentance, not just words, the evidence that repentance is real is when you see that there is transformation in the individual. If your little, if your child throws a rock and breaks a window and says, Mommy, I'm sorry. Daddy, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you're like, okay, at least they were remorseful. They were repentant. And then they grab another rock five minutes later and break another window. They, there was no transformation. Repentance. Reveal. Repent. Re third one is renew. And that goes back to Romans 12 too, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew. Is it possible to renew an old mind? Absolutely. Old ideas? Absolutely. Scripture says so. Science says so. I love it how 20-some years ago, uh, science penned a term, neuroplasticity, and they made this grand discovery that neuroplasticity is the brain's superpower to reorganize itself. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Scripture had already said that, you know, thousands of years prior. You know, you have Paul writing to the Romans, don't conform to the ways of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve God's perfect, pleasing, and goodwill for your life. It was there already. You just proved it through science, which God created to tell us that you can reorganize your mind. You can create, in scientific terms, new neural pathways. Reveal, repent, renew, and the last one is resist. And that goes back to James. Now, do you know who James was? Does anybody know? Jesus' brother. Did you all know that? 
Jesus' brother, James. Can you imagine living in that guy's shoes and Mary saying, you should be more like your older brother? Gosh. (laughs) James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Resist doesn't mean to run away. Resist means to go head on with the sword of the spirit. See, sometimes I think resist means to run away. That's not what he's saying. He's saying go full force, head-on collision with the sword of the spirit. That's your offensive weaponry. That's how you do it. You don't run away. You confront. And this is how we throw those strongholds down. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says, we can demolish Every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. The other translation says that we bring all of our thoughts captive to Christ. Captive. In other words, you have to capture them. That is not passive, it's active. You have to capture the thought and then bring it to obedience to Christ. What does that mean? That I bring it and I filter it through the word of God. Is my self-talk, is that idea that has been sabotaging my life and my purpose in the Lord, have I brought that to the obedience of Christ? Have I brought it and filtered it through the word to see if it's even, you know, in agreement with God or aligned with God's word? And if it's not, I need to discard Do I do that? That's an active approach. You cannot be passive about those things if you're going into the new year expecting a different outcome. We have to, thank you, we have to renew, thank you, we have to renew the mind. You see, how do they train elephants? They train elephants with a lie. The elephant is born, they shackle the elephant with a chain stake in the ground, the elephant grows. The trainer whips it, continues to have a shackle, a chain, a stake in the ground. The elephant grows, is a three-ton mastodont, has the power to tear down everything, including the circus tent. But it doesn't because it's been fed a lie. And the lie is that as long as that shackle is around your leg, we have full control over you. Because that's what it learned as it was a little newborn elephant. It's been trained with lies. Those are strongholds. Some Christians are like that. They don't see the power that they have in Christ, the potential that they have in Christ, and they're like the elephant because they remember their yesterday and they don't see today. And so they've allowed that their their history impairs their destiny in Christ. And we become like that elephant. I heard about the the, uh, impala, which has this ability to jump high and to jump long. In Africa. And when I'm saying high, it's very, very high. And so they, you know, the lions and tigers or whatever animals have a hard time catching up with the impala because it jumps high and long. But when the impala is captured and placed behind a barrier that is a solid barrier, a barrier that it cannot see through, and that it's slightly taller than the impala, and the impala has the capacity and the ability to jump higher and to escape the barrier... As long as the impala can't see through the barrier because it's a solid barrier, it will not jump because it can't what? 
see what's on the other side. And so a lot of Christians are like that. If I can't see it, I'm not jumping. I'm not walking in faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by... Okay. And we know that, but we don't practice it all the time. And so I I want to give you a little something practical that I give people that I see in therapy to help them understand how to bring these thoughts captive to Christ. And I have a a table that that I have up there on the screen. If you would put it up there, please. Take a picture of that if you would. It's really good. If you put that into practice, if you're one that struggles with you know, negative self-talk, self-sabotaging beliefs, if you have, you know, uh, just feelings of defeat, anguish, whatever the feeling is that is contrary to God's word, I want you to know that the first thing that I ask people to do, I say create a, a, create a table with four columns, and in the first column, you're going to write out what the negative emotion is. Once you put the negative emotion, which in this case, insecurity or fear, I'll choose Uh, you know, fear or loneliness, either one, then you ask, what is the thought? And the thought is, I can't overcome this challenge. And so we have this idea in the back of our heads, we keep on hearing ourselves, I can't overcome this challenge, therefore I have this feeling of fear or anxiety or guilt or despair. And then in the third column, you have to go to the Word of God. And so then you'd ask yourself, what exactly does the Word of God say about this emotion and this self-talk that I'm having in my mind and in my heart. What does the Word of God say? And so then I have to go to the Word of God and find that scripture that speaks to me. You may find a different one regarding fear. You know, uh, fear not for the Lord thy God is with you wherever you may go. Or for God is not giving the spirit of fear to me. Whichever one speaks to you. And then you write it down. And in the last column you write down the opposing emotion that you should be having. The opposing one. In other words, the positive one. That God speaks of. If it's fear, then I have to put down power, love, and a sound mind. That's what I should feel. And what do I do? I rehearse it. I rehearse it. I rehearse it. So I start writing these things down like a journal. So then I start to find patterns. And I start to see where I start to flake a little bit. Where I start to get weak in the day or in the week. And I start to find patterns. And so then I write those down on a note card so that every time I'm having one of those thoughts, I pull out my note card until I memorize the scripture, until I know it by heart. So that every time that I'm afraid or that I'm feeling guilt or that I'm feeling lonely or anxious or depressed, that I can go to the word immediately and say like Jesus, it is written. And that's how I do it. It has to be active and aggressive. You can't be passive about these things. Because if you can't do it for yourself, you cannot teach it to your children. Because we always turn around and say, what does Scripture say? Son, what does Scripture say about that? And they may not know, and that's why we guide them. We are their shepherds. We shepherd them. But you have to start with you. And this is a great way to start. Start by identifying. And once you do that, then you can start to renew the mind. You can't just renew the mind out of nothing. You have to be intentional. You have to be disciplined. You have to be consistent. It's over and over and over. The way that you wired those thoughts into your mind through repetition is the way that you wire them out. Well, can't God just pluck those ideas out of my mind? No. 
It doesn't work that way. He has given you free will. You're the one that decides. Through Christ, your spirit was regenerated. But your mind will only be renewed through decision. Your own. You have to decide. And this has to be consistent so that we can transform or renew the mind. Again, Romans 12, 2. I have it up on the screen. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. That's the, uh, the passion translation. Solomon, one of the wisest men, said it over and over again. He says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In another translation, it says, where the mind goes, the man follows. Where the mind goes, the man follows. Wherever your mind is at, you're going to follow. Not only do you follow, your body comes into alignment with it. Do you understand this? Listen. Your body will come into alignment with it. There's a direct connection between your emotions and your physical health. 75% 75% of the people in the hospital, you've heard me say this over and over and over again. 75% of the people in the hospital suffering from autoimmune disease, proven through research, this is not anecdotal, that their disease is directly tied to unprocessed emotions. Simple. It's like, get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. Secrets that are held, emotions that are suppressed, Become disease. The number one killer in the United States, inflammation. What causes inflammation? High levels of cortisol. What causes high levels of cortisol? Emotions. And it's killing people. It's turning into cancer. It's turning into diabetes. It's turning into Crohn's, Hashimoto's, Graves. You name it. Why? Secrets that are held, emotions that are suppressed. Get it out. Get it out in a healthy way. Go before the Lord. Be renewed so you don't bring yesterday into today or tomorrow. Look at the Israelites. And I won't get into the whole story, but you know it. The Israelites leave Egypt after 400 years. Keep in mind that the generation that was leaving Egypt, they had never experienced freedom. They were born into captivity in the three generations prior, born into captivity. They didn't know what it was to be free. It was like someone who's incarcerated their whole life and then they opened the jail cell. They were born in prison. And what happens with them? They leave. And you know the story. A trip of two weeks takes them, what, 40 years, was it? Something like that? Why? Well, it's very simple. They left Egypt, but Egypt didn't leave leave them. They left. They were physically set free, but they were mentally bound. The Israelites left Egypt, but Egypt didn't leave them. What happened to Lot's wife? Even Jesus telling the disciples, says, Jesus is teaching and says, hey, remember Lot's wife? He uses her as an example. What did she do? They gave her like a ticket to freedom. Leave tomorrow because this is going to burn Sodom and Gomorrah. Leave. Leave. Run. And the angel of the Lord gave one instruction. Just one instruction. What was it? Don't look back. What did she do? Uh, she looked back. And she didn't make it 
to that place of restoration. She became, according to scripture, a pillar of salt. A pillar of salt. Proverbs 4.20 verse, verse 20 through 23 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Did you see what it says there? That's not figurative speech, by the way. It says, for they are alive to those who find them, and what? Health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says, above all else, guard your heart, because it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. How do you guard your heart? You guard the gateway to the heart. What is the gateway to the heart? The mind. What is the gateway to the mind? The eyes and the ears. You guard those things. You become very selective. You don't just spend time with just anyone and expose your mind to, someone said, don't ever let people with dirty feet walk through your mind. You don't let people with dirty feet walk through your mind. A leadership coach that I admired back in the day, Jim Rohn, said, uh, you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Jim. Uncle Jim, is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> Jose knows what I'm talking about. You become, listen, you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. It's that simple. You're right now, you're thinking, oh, no. No, I'm not referring to your spouse. You're stuck with your spouse. <laughs> no, don't go, oh, no. I knew it. My mother told me. <laughs> I was at a halfway house. I've shared this story before because it's just so powerful. I was at a halfway house with uh, a TFC member back in the day. We used to go and minister every Sunday. And these were men that were straight out of prison. And they were there for a time of rehabilitation for about six months. And so we would go in and share the gospel. They were there because we had something that we were going to give them in return. You know, it was a law of reciprocation. You show up, we give you something. And what we would give them was Dr. Pepper and a chocolate cake at the end of the service. And so these men would show up and they would sit there and they all came from really difficult backgrounds. And every time I got a new group of 20 men uh, that we were going to share the gospel, I, my goal was always, my assignment was always, Romans 12 too, to help them renew their minds. And, uh, and I, I'll never forget that I would always ask these people for the very first time, it's like, who is your greatest influence in your life? And they would all say that their dad. And then I would ask them, was it a positive or negative influence? And they would say it's negative. And then I would ask them, last question was, did your father ever tell you that you would end up in prison someday? And they all said yes. And so talk about prophetic words, right? And so their dads would all tell them throughout their life, you're going to end up in prison someday. And there they were in prison. So our words are powerful, and the Bible says so. So we have to be very careful what we speak over the lives of our children. But usually what we speak over their lives is what we're speaking over our lives because we can't give what we don't have, teach what we don't know, or lead someone to a place that we've never been to before, right? It's very simple. We start with, start with me so that I can, I can impart. But before I can impart, before, before a teacher can teach, he must first be a disciple and learn. And so I have to be a disciple of Christ so that I can teach and become a teacher and impart that truth. And so I want to kind of wrap this up with uh, just a few things. And, you know, one of my favorite stories is, is the, the woman with the issue of blood. And that woman was 12 years going through her infirmity. And so the Levitical law had caused her to become a destitute. She was isolated. 
She could not be with her family. The Bible really doesn't say anything about her family. All we know is that the Levitical law uh, would not allow her to approach anyone because she was considered unclean for 12 years because of her hemorrhaging. And so I can only just kind of imagine the whole scenario where she is in this little room by herself, isolated from her own family, looking through the window, and she's seeing Jesus walk by, and he's being always followed by a multitude, and as he's walking by, he's healing people, and she sees this. And she is, you know, her anemia is high, she's very weak, she feels like she's dying, she's probably anxious, depressed, going through all these different emotions, but yet she sees Jesus, she hears about Jesus, but she physically sees what he's doing, and so her, her faith starts to increase. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing the word, right? This comes by hearing. Uh, and, and so she starts to not only hear, but she starts to see. And her faith starts to increase. And so she becomes, she becomes active rather than passive, and she gets tired of her place of complacency, her place of infirmity, and she tells herself, the Bible says. Talk about powerful self-talk, right? She tells herself, if only, everybody say, if only, if only, she says to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, she's looking at him through the window, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And so she, she kind of, she rolls off of the cot and she drags herself into the multitude, probably a thousand people surrounding Jesus, she drags herself in the dirt probably kicking dirt in her face, trampling over her, and she approaches the Messiah, grabs the hem of his garment, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? They say, Master, come on, there's a lot of people around you. Everybody's touching you. And he says, no, somebody touched me in a way that I felt the power flow from within me. So there was something about this lady called faith. She believed wholeheartedly, and the power of God to heal was manifest there through Jesus Christ. And so she believed, she did, she was healed. So she says, she says, Lord, it was I. And he looks down at her and he says, my daughter, your faith has healed you. And so she told herself. We see in the Bible also other people that talk to themselves to encourage them. The Bible says in 1 Samuel, I believe it is, says, and David encouraged himself. Because nobody was there to encourage him. And David encouraged himself. We see the prodigal son. The prodigal son was in the mud surrounded by the pigs, wanting to eat what the pigs were eating because he had nothing. Remember, he had wasted all of his inheritance on liquor, gambling, and women. And so now he's stuck in the mud and he's desiring to eat what the pigs are eating. And then he says to himself, he reminds himself that the servants in his father's house eat better than he does. He told himself. And then he repented and got up and went. We have to start changing what we tell ourselves. If you're going to do anything for yourself this new year, don't set resolutions. I know that's probably, that sounds, you know, everybody tells you the contrary. I would say, you know, daily wake up and thank God for his mercies that are new every morning. Say, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. My focus, amen, give the Lord praise. It says, my focus is on you, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning. That's my focus. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord. Thank you. Today, I'm going to do my best to be an ambassador and representative of you. That's my goal. What did Solomon pray for? Solomon didn't pray for riches, and he was the wealthiest man. You know, they say if you were to take all of his riches and kind of translate it into our day and age, he would have been richer than, than Bezos and, 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 and Musk and all these other ones. 
What did he pray for? Wisdom. Wisdom. He didn't pray for things. He says, Lord, grant me wisdom. And so we wake up every day and say, Lord, give me wisdom and let me be that ambassador. I'm going to do my best. We have to remember just five basic biblical truths. Number one is you have to remind yourself that you are made in God's image. Number one. Number two, that you're chosen by God. And this is all scriptural. That you are loved unconditionally regardless of what the world may say. That you are forgiven and you are redeemed and that you are a new creation in him. And so, at the end of the day, when you start 2024, what is it? Tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. Do these four things to renew the mind. Discern. First of all, discern, and I think I have them up there. Yes, here we go. Discern. So bring your thoughts into conscious awareness. That's what we always encourage in therapy. It's, okay, bring those thoughts to conscious awareness. And I can't get into the whole subconscious thought processing right now because we don't have time. But that's where it starts. Bring everything to conscious awareness. Reveal, right? Discern. The second one is engage. Engage. So change your perspective. And immerse your mind in God's word. Philippians 4.8, just write down Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 is the verse that says, you know, what is true, whatever is noble, whatever is uh, worthy of praise, think about these things. You must immerse yourself in God's word and change your perspective. Listen, we oftentimes say, magnify the Lord. We oftentimes say, say that. Can I just tell you that God doesn't need to be magnified? He's already magnificent. He's already omnipresent, omniscient. He's all-knowing, Right? What we have to do is magnify our perspective of who God is in us and we are in him. That's what we have to magnify. Because sometimes we magnify the issue rather than magnifying God. So magnify God. And so change your perspective. And the third one is journal. Start writing down like I put up that table. Start journaling all of those things that God says about you. Why? There's scripture behind it. Habakkuk 2 Verse 2 through 3 says, though the promise may linger, expect it because surely it will come to pass. But God tells the prophet Habakkuk after he complains, you know, Habakkuk is complaining. He says, write the promise down on a tablet so that it's easy to read. Write it down. Even in the scripture says so. Why? If we write it down, there's something that happens. Again, I can't get into the whole uh, physiology of the brain, but the two hemispheres connect, activates the basal ganglia and the motor cortex and you process your emotions a lot better when you journal those things. You get it out of your system. You journal. You write down God's promises so you can remember them. And then the last one, number four, is execute. So establishing, and this is where a lot of people just, they just stop. You know, they do A, B, and C, but they don't execute. And so to execute means that you're going to go into it actively, not passively, that you're going to be intentional, disciplined, and consistent so that you can create new neural pathways or new thought processes that are in alignment with God's word and not with the world. Amen? Did y'all get that? Okay. All right. I tried my best to go through all my notes. I have like two more hours worth, but we'll stop there. <laughs> my, my final encouragement to you is I pray that you would leave this place today realizing that you're not a victim of your biology. You're not captive to your genealogy. You're simply a result of your psychology. So renew your mind and watch your life transform in him. Amen? Let me pray for you.
Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and grace. Thank you, Lord, that we are reminded that every day your mercies are new. You're such a good God, such a mighty God. And, Lord, that what we need to do is magnify who you are in our lives because you're already great. We need to change our perspective. And as we go into this new year, rather than focusing on superficial goals and and, and possessions and, and accruing and getting and having and, and, and doing more. Father, may we come into alignment with your word and seek to grow in you to become those ambassadors that bring you glory in whatever we do, wherever you have us, with the gifts and talents that you've given us. Lord, may our hearts be in tune with your heart. I pray that we would be like, like David, that you called a man after your own heart because he lived for you, because he lived to please you. Father, we want to please you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that as they leave this place, that they would realize that they are not stuck. That wherever they're at, whatever they're going through, whatever they're suffering from, whatever issues they have had, whatever their childhood looked like, whatever trauma they had to endure, Father, that they are not stuck. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them during their times of prayer, during their times of meditating in you, that you would reveal to them that you would paint this picture in their minds and in their hearts, they would be able to see where those areas are at, where they are stuck, so they can break free from those strongholds and live out the purpose that you have for them because your purpose is amazing. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them in their time of prayer, their time of meditation, Father, that they would be set free. Your word says that they shall know the truth, and the truth shall set them free.